1: the Vitality Radio podcast. I'm your host. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. This one, a podcast-only episode, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. I've been wanting to do a series uh, on a variety of topics that, unfortunately, in today's climate, don't fly too well on the radio airwaves, as uh, I've had uh, a variety of different, well let's just say I've been restricted. So uh, we're uh, doing things a little bit differently today. I uh, recently attended something I've been talking to you about on Vitality Radio for the last uh, maybe six, eight weeks at least. And that was the Your Health Freedom Symposium. The Your Health Freedom Symposium was a phenomenal event, truly a highlight of my year. And uh, it's something I, I wish i could do again next weekend it was absolutely fantastic for those of you who attended you know what i'm talking about for those of you who did not and are interested in learning more if you will go to yourhealthfreedom.org that's yourhealthfreedom.org uh, you can sign up under the get involved tab and that will get you on the email notices where they will send you information on how you can watch some of the video from the event uh, likely including my guest today on Vitality Radio who spoke and who I had heard of before and seen a little bit about but had never met and had never listened to a full presentation. you are in for a treat. This guy has uh, the knowledge and the uh, the research uh, to back up uh, what he's talking about. We're going to talk about a variety of different topics, but we're going to start off by talking about the confusion, the debate, or the uh, lack of debate that's being allowed on the COVID vaccines. So uh, that'll be uh, where we're going to start out. We've we'll got a lot more after that. I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Andre Angelantoni, who is the founder and project leader of the Vaccine Course. For more information on what that is, you can go to vaccinecourse.org. That's vaccinecourse.org. Andre, welcome to Vitality Radio. Thank you for having me, Jared. Absolutely. It was a pleasure meeting you uh, last weekend and uh, hearing your presentation, as I said. And what I'd like to do for our listeners is go into some detail about some of the stuff that you presented uh, there at the uh, symposium. And then we'll go into uh, a few other avenues, I think, as well. But first, give us a little background on yourself. Sure. So I got into this topic in a really big way back in 2015.
2: Uh, at the time, I was living in California, and there was legislation that was being considered that was going to remove the philosophical and religious exemptions inside of California for the pediatric population, the children population. And um, at that point, I was completely pro-vaccine, not rabidly pro- that pro-vaccine, but I thought that they were a great idea. I'd had all my vaccines when I was younger. And so I got curious, why would people want to exempt themselves. It was the first time I'd ever heard of that idea. And uh, so just being intellectually curious, after about two weeks, I realized that uh, there was a lot of damage occurring by vaccines, that the parents and children who had experienced vaccine injure, injury were being gaslit and um, they just weren't being honored in in their stories of how the vaccines had injured their children. And so it it became obvious to me that what the world needed was a thoroughly vetted A to Z course that showed people how these vaccines injure actually got into the science. And so what I did is I gathered a group of people that ultimately grew to 16. The team is 16 people. Uh, the main technical consultant is Dr. James Lyonsweiler. We've had other units looked at by other PhDs like Dr. Brian Hooker and other immunologists. So we have this fabulous course now that a parent can take. To understand how vaccines cause allergies, how they cause autoimmune diseases, how they cause neurological damage to the developing, the delicate developing infant brain and child brain. And this is all using peer-reviewed research. There's actually quite a bit out there. And for people who just don't have the time to go down the rabbit hole like some of us did, this is a great way to get it all given to them in a very understandable
1: way. Well, and I think it's way past due, too. So I appreciate you bringing this to us. I'm really excited to take the course myself. It's an interesting thing in today's world, especially, you know, what I call the post-COVID America, uh, trying to talk about anything that is uh, against any narrative that's coming out of D.C. uh, is absolutely just shut down in any, any way that they possibly can. And what I've found to be frustrating is probably the right word for me, is that the I, I get that politicians have their reasons for doing the things they do. I get that pharmaceutical companies have their reasons for doing the things they do. There's financial incentives, of course, on both sides. Also, uh, the struggle for power and being able to stay in office by not saying things too controversial and so on and so on and so on. I get all that. What has alarmed me is the average citizen who uh, listens to someone like you or someone like me that they might hear on a radio show or a podcast. And as soon as I say anything that goes contrary to what their belief system is, I get hate mail. I mean, like serious vitriol calling me. I I, I was told that I was the uh, complicit in the death of thousands by talking about uh, some of the things that I disagreed with that uh, Tony Fauci has said. For instance, uh, I've been called a charlatan and all kinds of other things. And my skin has thickened over the years. I don't particularly care that much that people call me these things. The question I have for you, because you've been researching this in, in depth now for five, six years, it sounds like, is why do you think it is that people without an agenda are so angry when anybody talks about uh, vaccines in any way other than safe and effective?
2: I think there are a few reasons for that. I quickly got exactly the same experience when I started to go online and share some of the things that I discovered about how vaccines cause injury. And uh, while I was looking at the history of vaccination, I, I came to the conclusion that it has actually always been that way for vaccination. Vaccination seems to hold a special place in society in that everyone thinks that they need to protect it. They want to protect it because they think that ultimately it performs more good than harm. And what you have with all the uh, doctors and the government personnel is a sort of self-censorship. And you can read texts that are 100 years old where the authors of these texts describe exactly how that was being done, even older, with the smallpox vaccines. Now, the smallpox vaccines were enormously damaging because they were highly contaminated. And so not only could you get smallpox, but you could get all sorts of other things with those vaccines. And the vaccinators of the day, which often were paid by the shot, they would hide the damage that the vaccines would do. Otherwise, they wouldn't get paid. So right from the beginning, you have every element of society trying to protect these vaccines because they think that they're just so good that any kind of damage that might scare someone away from getting vaccinated must be hidden. So that's, that's so, what we're dealing with. We have this radically incorrect notion that these vaccines cause so much more good than harm. Uh, that everyone thinks that they're completely safe. Almost everyone thinks they're completely safe.
1: And that is the challenge with what's going on with COVID right now, right? Is that we have these really, really new and really, really radical uh, types of vaccines. In fact, many would argue that they're not vaccines at all. These new mRNA uh, technologies that are being used. And all we hear is safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. In fact, uh, I don't know. Y- you're pretty plugged into this. Have you heard the latest on? Uh, uh, I'm trying to even think of her name, Nicki Minaj, and what happened with her. No,
2: I saw that just Were the headline. At? At? Yeah, just the headline.
1: You know, she's a she's a rapper. She considers herself the queen of rap. Uh, certainly not my uh, genre of <laughs> preferred genre of music. But uh, what's interesting about her is that she's got 22.6 million followers on Twitter. And she simply tweeted that her fans should consider researching uh, these vaccines first before they decide to to take them. And she said that's what she would be doing. She also, uh, I believe, uh, recommended praying about it. And she has been absolutely trashed for that statement. Uh, In fact, not only has she been trashed, the White House has reached out to her asking if she'd like to talk to a doctor about her concerns. Dr. Fauci was interviewed on uh, CNBC, I believe it was, or MSNBC, one of these, uh, about it. And he, he said, well, we just have to keep debunking this misinformation. And I'm thinking to myself, what exactly is misinformation about maybe you should research a medicine before you put it into your body? How can that even be misinformation, right? And yet, if Anything goes against the narrative of safe and effective, it is hammered down hard. Also, I think it's funny because this uh, Nicki Minaj is an African-American. Actually, she comes from, uh, she's not, uh, uh, where did she come from? Trinidad or something like that. But regardless, a, a woman of color, we'll say. I can't remember exactly what her heritage is. And another uh, woman of color on uh, CNBC or in MSNBC, I think it was, came on just raking her over the coals for what she said, because now she's going to be convincing other people of color not to take this medicine, which puts everybody at risk and so on and so on and so on. And, and you know, if the, the hypocrisy is just astounding uh, to me because uh, you can't say anything like that or you're a racist unless you say it regarding the vaccines. So it's uh, it's it's an absolute. I I call it a religion. Uh, it, it, this COVID fear with the vaccines, uh, people hold on to it like they hold on to a Bible. Uh, and you would you would get a bigger fight. You would get no smaller fight. I guess from someone who is adamantly in favor of these vaccines than you would from someone who's a Second Amendment person uh, with their guns. You know, pry pry their guns from their cold dead fingers pry the vaccine from their cold dead fingers I don't think it's any different but it's interesting because people don't even seem to want to look
2: well they don't and that that's part of the the aura that vaccines have for people I think that they think most people think that they're made by unicorns or something when in fact they're made by pharmaceutical companies that have had decades of practice to manipulate their studies to make things look as good as possible. And they do the same thing with the vaccines. They've done that with their effectiveness, for instance. So we hear, I'll give you an example, we hear that the vaccines are 95% effective. But the people who are put into those initial trials are the healthiest people around. And often the trials, they're allowed to let people drop out and they don't include those people. Now, why did they drop out? Well, they dropped out because they had some sort of problem with the vaccine. So then what happens is you you give the vaccine not to to perfectly healthy people. You give the vaccine to all of society. And now you've got people with all their comorbidities and all their issues that they're dealing with. And it's not 95% effective for them. And it's not perfectly safe for that group of people. So now you rely on what's called post-marketing surveillance and the post-marketing surveillance during a pandemic is, is, is actually probably the worst post-marketing surveillance. The last time you want to take a vaccine is during a pandemic because the government and the medical profession normally are protecting vaccines. But during a pandemic, they especially are doing that because they want everyone to get vaccinated. So it doesn't matter if people are dying or getting injured, they'll come out like what the CDC has said, and they'll say that they have not linked a single death to these vaccines. Is that rational? Is that believable? That is absolutely not believable. These vaccines technically are called highly reactogenic, and people need to understand how vaccine manufacturing works. The vaccine manufacturers have to create a vaccine that is strong enough that it's going to handle, let's say, a three- or 400-pound male on one side of the spectrum, but not so strong that an 18-year-old child who's maybe 120 pounds, female maybe 100 or 120 pounds, that it doesn't kill her. So often the vaccines have smaller doses for the, for the pediatric population, but let's just stick with the adults. So you have this drug that has to be able to handle a 400-pound male and a 100-pound female, And they can't cause too much damage or death because then the FDA won't give them their license. And if they don't uh, create something that's strong enough, then the FDA won't give them their license. So the bottom line is that you're always going to have some people on the very edges who it doesn't work for them. You're going to get something called primary vaccine failure, which we're seeing a lot of now. It's called Technically, they're calling it breakthrough cases, or sorry, they're calling it breakthrough cases, but technically it's called primary vaccine failure. And on the other side, you're going to have these poor people who are going to get damaged and killed. And you see that in the surveillance systems, like OpenVARS, or sorry, the VARS system, which is run by HHS. VARES stands for the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And if people go to openvares.org, Calm. They'll see a great summary of how many reports there have been of miscarriages and deaths and myocarditis and Bell's palsy and Guillain-Barré syndrome, which is paralysis. It's all there. And these passive surveillance systems, like theirs, collect between one and ten percent of the actual events that are occurring. So. As people go to that website and take a look at the numbers, in their mind, they should multiply by 10 to 100 to actually get some sort of idea of what's happening out there. And the government is and the medical profession are simply saying, because it's very easy to do so, we have not linked any of this to the vaccine. That would not normally happen outside of a pandemic. Normally, at about 25 deaths, you would yank the vaccine, just like what happened with the swine flu vaccine. We're now into literally thousands of deaths and these vaccines should be yanked but they're not being yanked they should be removed from the market because we promise people vaccines typically are given to healthy people they're not given to people who are on their deathbed so the promise of a vaccine should be that you're not going to do any harm that's what the vaccine that's the oath that a doctor gives and these
1: vaccines
2: are in fact very harmful
1: Okay, so then I, this, I think, this is a really important piece of information for people who are not very aware of how this all works. So I want you to dig into VERS just a little bit deeper. How are these things actually reported to Vares? Because re- you said it's it's the Health and Human Services, so that's all part of CDC, NIH. It's all kind of lumped in together there, uh, different organizations, uh, federal organizations. So it is a federal reporting system but how are things actually reported? So anyone can report a, a
2: adverse event after a vaccination. However, it, in historically, this program over the last 30 years, roughly 84% of the reports have come from either the administrator of the vaccine or the vaccine manufacturer. In other words, healthcare workers. And only about around 16% has been by other groups of people. And of that 16%, there's one piece that I don't remember what it comes from, but, but it's roughly about 6% just from the public. So that's historically where those numbers are coming from.
1: And okay. So let me stop you really quickly because I just read an article as I was preparing this uh, rant that I'm going to do about Nicki Minaj. I read an article. It was Fauci being quoted on. I, I, I keep... I can't remember what he was on. I think it was MSNBC. I'll clarify that when I talk about it on the the other show, but regardless, he was being interviewed about what she had said and he talked about vares and he said, "Listen, none of these reports have been verified. Uh, there, you know, there's there's no confirmed link to anybody being injured or harmed by these vaccines and I and I'm very much paraphrasing here." And then he said, "These reports can come from anywhere." It's an open system, and he left it at that. And this is such a prime example of misinformation coming from the people who are supposedly trying to squash misinformation because you're saying 84% on average since VARES was opened have come from medical professionals of some sort, uh, not from the actual patient or a family of the patient who was harmed. And they're saying, yeah, these can come from anywhere. It's, you know, it's just reporting from a bunch of people and they want to leave out the fact that these are actually, at least on some level, medically verified at the local level before they're then put up to the federal level. Is that an accurate assessment?
2: Well, sure. The, The CDC is supposed to call the person who reports and verify the information before they flip the switch and say, okay, this is a valid record. What seems to be happening, Dr. Peter McCullough has has insider information in the FDA and the CDC because he's so entwined in that whole world, uh, is that they're completely overwhelmed. We have we are seeing far more deaths in the last six months being reported to this program than in the prior thirty years combined, and far more injury than the prior years combined. So now. We we now have official warnings for I think we have blood clots Guillain Barré syndrome Canada put an official warning for Bell's palsy which is another kind of um, another kind of paralysis and myocarditis especially in in younger men but it can happen to anyone and at, and at any age and so these are these are all racking up and and you're right just to go back to what you're saying that is a disingenuous statement on Fauci's part okay because these are not being entered by just the, the random public and by the way the random public sometimes they enter them because the the healthcare worker refuses to mm-hmm. all right so we shouldn't be saying that these reports are uh, untrustworthy because they're coming from the public Often it's my mom, my dad took the shot. They were dead within 48 hours. I'll, I'd like to mention something about that, by the way. And the uh, healthcare worker said, "Well, it's not the the vaccine. It's 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 a coincidence." And so there's this saying in in by parents who have vaccine injured children that vaccines are the largest cause of coincidence in the world. So how so now there is one element that's true about the vaccine adverse event reporting system and that is that it is not designed in fact to demonstrate causality to demonstrate causality typically you need a, a randomized cohort age matched and all sorts of things where you can you can isolate the factors involved in causality and then you can say, okay, well we actually think that this is the vaccine that's causing the deaths. Okay. And because this is a reporting system where it's sort of like everything including the kitchen sink can get in there in terms of all the certain like there's no there's no selection of who's being put in there age wise, all that sort of stuff. Right. You you can say, well it's harder to it's harder to determine causality. But it's not impossible. They say it's impossible, but I don't agree with them. And the reason why you can still determine causality is because, let's just take a look at deaths. If deaths reported after the vaccination were not due to the vaccination, you would see a horizontal line of deaths occurring as time goes on, because it would be random. I mean, maybe it would be a little bit bumpy, but it would be roughly a horizontal line. That's not what we're seeing. We're seeing the majority of the deaths after within three days and it's a curve that if you think about the y-axis it starts high up on the left and then it slopes down to the right when you have that sort of curve that indicates causality these people are being killed by the vaccines they're being killed more by the second dose than the first dose because these are highly reactive reactogenic vaccines and he is simply lying so that he maintains vaccination rates
1: and so then the question is, too, well, I, mean, it's, I have questions, the wrong word, but it's, it's another part of the hypocrisy, because I think it's relatively well understood, even by people who are generally, I guess, believing the narrative coming out of D.C., that many deaths that were reported from COVID were people who died with COVID, perhaps not from COVID, Uh, we, we saw numbers of, you know, heart disease deaths going down and cancer deaths going down and respiratory illnesses other than COVID going down and so on and so forth. And COVID numbers going up now, clearly that wasn't, there wasn't a lot of talk about that in mainstream media, but there was enough out there that I, I've talked to a lot of people who have questioned at least the, uh, the narrative about how many people are actually dying of COVID. So in the urgency to scare people about COVID. They have extrapolated quite generously the numbers from a variety of different comorbidities and attributed them to COVID. And yet when it comes to the COVID vaccine, they say, well, any death following the COVID vaccine is clearly someone who was going to die anyway. And so it can't possibly be the vaccine. It's simply coincidence. But you said something that was really powerful. And I don't want to gloss over it too much here. You said in the last six months, and, I, and I'm hopefully quoting you correctly, that we've seen more cases presented to the VERS system than in all 30 years previous. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yep. That is unbelievable. That means more than 60 times as much as what, you know, on a month to month basis as what we've ever seen before. True. Now, you do have to be a little bit careful when you do these sorts of comparisons, because if
2: you want to really understand what's going on, you need to normalize it, which means you have to turn that number into how, how many injuries, how many deaths per 100,000 people. Okay. So, but, that being said, you do that and you're still seeing far more injury than you're seeing in all the other vaccines. Now, why is that? The reason is these were rushed to market. Okay. The government is telling everyone that they weren't rushed to market, but that's not true. It typically takes anywhere from 7 to 10, sometimes even 20, 25 years before a vaccine comes to market. The first, There were a lot of problems with the first polio vaccines before they were released. It took decades for that one to get figured out. And, and some of the other ones maybe aren't 25 years, but there's certainly at least 10. So technically, these other pediatric vaccines are radically safer than these COVID vaccines. These ones were uh, rushed to market. Uh, We know from some FOIA requests, it's interesting, the Japanese Ministry of Health allows foreigners to do a FOIA request. And we found out from a FOIA request, Dr. Byron Bridle, an immunologist out of Canada, I think the University of Guelph, he and two others made a FOIA request. And they found uh, they, they were given a Pfizer study, of a biodistribution study. And the biodistribution study showed that the government was lying when they said that the spike proteins that are generated from, by the body are going to stay localized at the site of injection. That's what they told us. That was not true. We knew it was not true because this study from Pfizer shows that it travels all around the body. It was, it was, a, it was a rodent study. It travels all around the body, and it has certain affinity, or it has affinity for certain tissues, in particular human uh, ovaries. Now, Dr. Bridal thinks that it's very likely that every ministry of health, department of health, around the world had access to that, that study, that Bio biodistribution study. And if that's true, all of them are complicit in lying and saying that the spike protein stays localized at the site of injection. Now we know, obviously, from the VARES data and all the deaths and injury and miscarriages and paralysis. Now, what causes the paralysis? Well, if it's, if it's some sort of neuropathy or pain at the, at the extremities, well, then that means that it's attacking your nerves. But we're also seeing strokes. Well, that means that the, the spike proteins are getting to the brain. Now, you you do need to understand that this should not be surprising. The spike protein or the virus itself has all these problems. So if we've chosen a mechanism to provide some sort of immunological protection that uses the same mechanism that the wild infection does, you should expect similar problems. And that's exactly what's showing up in the data.
1: Oh, there's a lot to unpack with this uh, COVID vaccine itself. So let, let's let go just, there's a couple more things that I want to touch on before we get away from this particular uh, conversation. One is people have heard that this is a new type of vaccine called mRNA. I think the vast majority of people have no idea what that means. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, sure. So what, what this new technology is trying to do. And and again, we're being told it's not new. It's been worked on for 10 years. Well, sure, it's been worked on for 10 years. But this is the first time that a vaccine has been created and given to an entire population of varying levels of health. So it's absolutely still the very first time that we're using this vaccine in a very real way. And so what the, the thinking is, is rather than using an attenuated virus... An attenuated means that it's been weakened somehow. Uh, There is actually at least one vaccine that does it that way. But if they're using, if the people are choosing to get the mRNA vaccine, what it's designed to do is designed to program the body to create spike proteins itself. It's hijacking the machinery to create a spike protein. The spike protein then appears inside of the immune system of the of the person and that causes the immune system to respond thereby creating antibodies and the idea is that now you've got this internal factory now if you think about it what is you creating a protein and then having the body respond to it another word for that is called an autoimmune disease So we're essentially giving everyone an autoimmune disease, and we understand that vaccine-induced autoimmune condition autoimmunity, I have a paper under review right now on that, has knock-on effects. Because the 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 immune system, once it's activated, it it's not so super-targeted. It's designed to be fairly general in a way. It, It can actually go both ways. And so what we're doing is we're activating people's immune system. We're causing flare-ups with their existing autoimmune conditions. People are getting new autoimmune conditions. Uh, we have an inor- If you go to openbears.com, you'll see that there are an enormous number of shingles cases. Why? Because you've, de- you've, you've actually degraded the innate immune system that normally keeps the shingles virus tamped down, and now it has free reign, and so people are getting shingles cases. So... We are messing around with the human immune system. It's causing a great deal of damage. And uh, I'll just go back to this. In a normal world with people acting with integrity, these vaccines would already be pulled off the market.
1: Yeah, it's crazy stuff. So to make sure that uh, our listeners understand the mRNA vaccines uh, that you just discussed, that would be the Pfizer uh, and the Moderna. How are they different from the Johnson & Johnson? Because I think there are people, well, I know there are people because I've had people ask, well, if I'm going to get the vaccine, which one should I get? And of course, my response is I wouldn't get any of these three. <laughs> but uh, what's the difference between the mRNA and the Johnson & Johnson?
2: Well, okay. So the, the, the Johnson & Johnson, I believe, does use the attenuated version of the virus, yeah. as a, which is a more traditional kind of
1: technology. Makes it more like most other vaccines, right?
2: Right. Well, you've got live viruses and you've got subunit viruses and you've got attenuated viruses. The live viruses are often attenuated. And then you have the inactivated viruses. And so you've mm-hmm. got basically about six different kinds of vi- of vaccines right now. I said viruses all that time. I should have been saying vaccines. And so now you have a new category called the M- mRNA category. And that's people just want to, that's the, that's the mechanism of, of hijacking the body to produce a protein to cause an autoimmune reaction. That's what these vaccines do. Now, I don't have at my fingertips what the damage is and the deaths per vaccine. Not a bad place to start is the VAERS data. And people could, there are, there's a way to do a, um, some queries there, and people could do some queries, and they could find out how many deaths are being reported for each one. Then of course you need to normalize. You have to turn it into deaths per one hundred thousand people, so that you get a, right. an understanding. Otherwise, you you could be led astray if you don't normalize. Uh, and so I can't tell people right now which is the winner. Right now the government is treating all of them the same, and that's that makes no sense. Almost right. certainly one or two should be yanked off the market, and one should be the winner because it's the safest and maybe the most effective. Who knows? But not all through right now, the, in, in a pandemic, it's get everyone vaccinated regardless of the damage and shut anyone up who risks lowering vaccination rates. And that's what's happening. And by the way, it also means you can't have a treatment because if there's an adequate treatment, that also will lower vaccination rates. So why is it that we have all these studies showing the effectiveness of both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin? Yes, there are also steroidal uh, treatments as well, okay, Mm budesonide and whatnot. But let's just take a look at those. Because there is something called the emergency use authorization. Now, the Pfizer vaccine has gotten some degree of authorization, but just set that aside for now the emergency use authorization, if you look at the language of that law, it says that you, can, you are allowed, the government is allowed to give a treatment if there is no other effective and uh, available um, option other than that. It was designed to help people who were looking at using certain drugs who were dying from cancer. So if they were already going to die, why not allow some sort of risky drug that may not be through its trials to help the person so these vaccines have been released under the emergency use authorization the moment there is a treatment that is acknowledged by the nih or the fda then the eua is no longer valid and they must stop giving the vaccines now do you think that they're going to stop giving these vaccines No, this is a freight train, and that's why they are poo-pooing the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine actually has more data going for it than ivermectin, but ivermectin looks like it's a little bit more effective. So why is it that we're 18 months into a pandemic and there's no official early treatment? That's never been like that, okay? You would expect that there should be early treatments by now. And there are; they're just not accepted by the NIH or the FDA because the second they do that, they have to stop the vaccine
1: program, and that is just not going to be allowed. Absolutely, and then of course everything is uh, chalked up to one of a few different things: uh, misinformation or disinformation. Anybody talking about something like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine is called a uh, you know a conspiracy theorist. We're using horse dewormers. We're anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers and all the things. And it's interesting, you know, the the word, wordplay might not be the right word, but the, the use of these words and uh, terms has been very strategically put in place, in my view, to instantly discredit people beyond the headline. Oftentimes, I've found uh, in my research for Vitality Radio over the last 13 years that I've done this, that the headline and the article don't even match all that well in a lot of things. And we're certainly seeing that a lot with this, where they'll say what they want you to hear in the headline. The data that's in the article doesn't always match what's in the headline very well at all. And that's happening a lot with this stuff. And so now, all of a sudden, ivermectin, which has years of use in in humans uh, is suddenly just a horse dewormer. And hydroxychloroquine, of course, is completely discredited because Donald Trump said it might be a good option and nobody believes anything he says. So, you know, it's just this constant barrage of these people are just a bunch of wacky conspiracy theorists. There's nothing to any of this. We have to keep pushing the vaccinations, whether it it be by mandate or any other uh, strong-armed method that the government can come up with. And, of course, there's no reason not to because vaccines are always safe and effective. Well, you, you bring up a, a, a few good points there.
2: So you actually see that even in the literature. Sometimes you can see the abstract says something completely different than the data of the actual mm-hmm. study. So you, you see that, certainly as, well. Seen that as, well. as well. Yeah. Now, and then the other part is that... I think what you're seeing is you're seeing just normal folks um, using the language that you were describing and calling anyone who just brings up a question about a vaccine. I mean, if I bring up a question about aspirin, I don't become anti-aspirin. But if you bring up a question about vaccines, suddenly you become anti-vaccine. It's ridiculous what's going on. So there are a lot of people that have grown up in this environment where anyone who has valid concerns about a vaccine is suddenly always giving out misinformation. Now, it doesn't matter that the person is a Stanford professor like Dr. Kuldorf, and that if there's anyone in the world that you should be listening to, it's someone like him when he says there's some issues with these vaccines. It just doesn't matter. The whole, you, you get this pylon effect. The other thing that's happening that everyone needs to understand is that the whole media response is being guided. This is a very much behavioral scientist led response by all the governments the behavioral scientists are saying things like let's make sure all the masks are on everyone not because we think it actually does anyone but be any any good there there's some evidence that it might help a tiny bit the masks but not not enough to do what's happening right now with the masking and the lockdowns both of those non-pharmaceutical interventions simply don't have good data for them but what what they're doing is they say okay well let's get everyone in this together so we're going to make people feel like they're part of a community everyone's masking everyone is is watching out for each other so they're going from the, the behavioral scientist approach rather than what actually makes sense to handle a respiratory virus where year ago year and a half ago uh, it was clear the the oxford center for evidence based medicine had estimates they knew that this respiratory virus was eventually going to get out to everyone and they knew they had some estimates of what the infection fatality rate was going to be. They said at the beginning was between 0.1 and 0.36 percent, and it turns out to be the last estimate from Dr. Ioannidis or Professor Ioannidis is about 0.15 percent. And they said, look, we can handle this. We don't have to shut down a society. We don't have to all wear masks. Now, who listened to that? Sweden listened to that. All right. They listened to that, and the rest of us didn't. We damaged our small businesses we people lost their jobs we didn't handle this right and Sweden did and so people say but Sweden has a lot of deaths actually they don't uh, they if you take a look at their mortality it's actually a little bit less last year from than from the year before so at the beginning it looked like it because they had a they they weren't able to protect quickly enough their older folks but as the year went on it actually equalized. So they did just fine without mandatory masks, without lockdowns. Yes, they did restrict a little bit of groups larger than 50 people. The the populace themselves, they reduced their travel around the country to some degree. But generally, I had a relative that was sending me pictures of them um, eating and drinking at restaurants throughout the pandemic. And they've lifted all restrictions. And I think Denmark is just about to do the same thing but here we are going the opposite direction.
1: Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of a lot of stuff going on that's pretty hard to to put your finger on exactly what's going on other than it seems to me that there's a significant need to control the narrative and therefore all of the censorship and a significant uh, desire to roll out these vaccines to as many people as possible when even in other countries there are questions that are being I'll say, at least allowed to be asked. In America, that does not seem to be the case. So what I find interesting about this whole COVID thing is just how ramped up all of it has become. We talked when you first uh, came on and we began the interview about the vaccines in general having this uh, kind of free pass in terms of safe and effective And then, of course, with COVID and the COVID vaccines, that really uh, has gone just ballistic in terms of the information that's being uh, sent out about it and the information that's being censored. But let's go back to uh, really why I brought you on in the first place, and that is to talk about the vaccine course, because I didn't know this existed until I went to the symposium last weekend, when I heard that it was a thing, I became very intrigued because one of the biggest challenges I think for the the average parent is trying to understand where they can get good, solid clinical data on what makes sense when it comes to their own children and their health regarding vaccination.
2: It is very difficult. And so what people do is they trust their doctor And if you talk to the parents of vaccine-injured children, they regret that. They regret the day they allowed that final injection to damage the brain of their child or the immune system and cause paralysis. And so we typically put more energy into looking for a car seat than we do researching vaccines. So what we do in this course, and like I said, it's 16 people. Uh, experts in their field who have put together this information. And how about if I walk through what each of the units are, so that people get a sense of what we're going to discuss?
1: Oh, that'd be great. You talked to me uh, briefly about it at the symposium, and gave me enough information that I am uh, absolutely signing up. Uh, but I'd love to ha- have my listeners uh, get that same opportunity. Let's go for it.
2: Okay, great. Okay, so so the session number one. So first of all, this is going to be these are going to be live sessions. Uh, We're fortunate we're going to have a few doctors, including um, Dr. Paul Thomas, join us. For people who are following the saga of Dr. Paul Thomas, he's the pediatrician in Oregon who has given his patients, the, the parents of his patients, the option to do all the vaccines on the CDC schedule or none of the vaccines on the CDC schedule or something in between. And he did that because he was noticing that he was seeing damaged children immediately after he was vaccinating them and he realized that something was going wrong. So now he has this data set uh, of children that demonstrate that the we are we are damaging the immune system of these kids. It is not normal that kids have all these ear infections and these ear tubes. That's happening because we're we're damaging the innate immunity. There is no f- free lunch. The vaccines do give you specific protection against the strains in the shot. That's true. But they also come at a cost. And the cost is they damage the general response of the immune system. And I can't get into that right now. But so let's, let's go through uh, some of the units. So the first one is we, we set the stage. We talk about uh, the sickest generation, which is how sick American children are and including one in six have some sort of developmental disability. And we explain that uh, the medical authorities are not tracking the whole health outcomes of the children of this country. If we were really serious about understanding whether vaccines were a net benefit, what we would do is we would compare children who have had no vaccines with children who have had all the vaccines And we would say, okay, who's healthier? And not only would we do that, we would do that every decade. We would have done it starting in the 50s and then the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And instead, the CDC on their website says that tracking the long-term health of children would not be practical. So they're actually not even doing the work. Now, if we were to have done those tests, comparing the zero vaccinated against the 100% vaccinated, the fully vaccinated, you would find that the children are getting sicker and sicker over time. And you would eventually find that the reduction in the, the effects of the natural infections, eventually the damage from the vaccines exceeds any benefit. And that point is called the crossover point. So when was the crossover point? We have a group of people that are looking at trying to determine w- which decade that happened in. I can just tell you right now, I think it was likely in the late 80s, maybe the 90s, when we started to give too many vaccines and we caused more damage than we were helping. So we go through that and we, we talk about the, the crossover point and we set the stage for the course. There's a lot of data in that one. Then we go on Unit 2 the second week on vaccine injury and compensation. There are 19 countries that have compensation programs. The United States has has one of them. And we, we talk about how it's failing. And that's not us saying it's failing. That's studies that are showing that it's failing. Like one out of, um, I think it was Professor Engstrom from uh, Stanford University. And, it, and basically three-quarters of the petitions are denied. Now, even with three-quarters of the petitions being denied... Over $4 billion in compensation has been given to people injured by vaccines. And really, really, really. Yeah, just in America. And really, it should be 10 times that. Easily 10 times that. Then uh, we go through some additional key concepts in the third week uh, that maybe people don't understand. We clarify some things, everything from herd immunity to the mRNA vaccines. The fourth week, we look at vaccines in developed countries. Here we take a historical look. Because people immediately, they'll tell you, what about polio and what about smallpox? People don't understand actually how those, what happened with those vaccines. And, and so we go through the history and then people are going to also, the, the attendees of the course are going to understand that when we use this data again from peer-reviewed research, uh, we show that in developed countries, okay, so we're going to just set aside the developing countries for now, okay? But in developed countries, we show that the mortality from advent infectious disease had already dropped by 95 to 98% depending on the infection by the time the vaccines came on the on the market so vaccines are being given credit for something that they didn't do most people think that if we were to stop vaccinating everyone would die i mean really it's that kind of simplistic but it's not true. In developed countries, vaccines are are used primarily to control morbidity, which is the the injury from the natural infection rather than the death. So we explain all of that. Uh, then the next unit is how and why information is hidden. We take a look at what are the mechanisms in society that make sure that people don't learn what's really happening with vaccines, and 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 it, it goes right from the studies to the you know, look, vaccines cause autoimmune diseases. They cause allergies. They cause neurological damage. But if you talk to a doctor, they'll say, we don't know why all that's happening, but we know it's not the vaccines. That makes no logical sense. You can't, you can't rule out something and say at the same time, we don't know what it is. That is a that is that is very disingenuous to be to be polite about it. Okay, the reality is we go through the studies that show all of that. So the next uh, the next unit is on mercury. Yes, mercury in the form it's a it's a potent neurotoxin, and you can still find it, neurotoxicant. Sorry, and you can still find it in certain vaccines. It causes brain and mitochondrial damage. Uh, Aluminum is the next unit. We look at how when the mercury was not eliminated from the vaccines, but it was reduced, we we, we show that the number of shots that contained aluminum took the place of mercury. So, yes, we reduced mercury around 2000, but then we added a whole bunch of shots with aluminum. And from the brain's perspective, mercury and aluminum are still terrible. And then if you get a child that can transport the mercury from the injection site rapidly to the brain, and then they do the same thing with the aluminum. Now you've got mercury and aluminum in the brain, which are synergistically toxic, and that damages the neurons even more. And so that's what's happening that's damaging the kids' brains, particularly the boys, because then they have another chemical, or technically a hormone, I suppose, called testosterone. So now you've got mercury, aluminum, and testosterone in these children's brains damaging the boys which is one of the reasons we assert why boys are starting to perform so poorly when compared to girls in school and in dr thomas's uh, data set showed that not a single case of adhd in his children that had zero vaccines okay so it seems like it's all coming from the vaccines it's not true for everything by the way okay but for ADHD, the signal was very, very clear. The next unit is about allergy. We talk about how the, the um, allergic response is created, how the origin of vaccination was actually around allergies. We explain how you test allergies. You take a toxin and you inject it into a rat and you include some aluminum. And then you can start to study the allergy in that rat. Well, what are we doing with the kids? We're injecting a toxicant plus aluminum, or sorry, an an antigen plus aluminum. And we wonder why the kids are having allergies. That's exactly what you do if you want to test allergies. The next unit, autoimmunity. Uh, We go through how uh, autoimmunity is caused by vaccines. The Institute of Medicine first established that vaccines can cause it back in 1992, And now we have up to 50 million Americans suffering from an autoimmune disorder, depending on which uh, study you look at. Uh, Not all of the autoimmune diseases are coming from vaccination. There are other sources. And I, I should point that out to people. We're not saying that vaccines are doing everything, but we are saying that in many areas, the vaccination either makes it worse or could be considered the primary cause. Then the next unit, we look at the Wakefield controversy. This is that doctor from England who first identified that there were some children that were reacting poorly to the MMR vaccine. That caused a big scare around the world, around autism. And he lost his license and he had to actually change his country. He moved to the United States. But he hasn't stopped speaking out because what he showed back in 1998 has turned out to be true. And that is, if you disrupt the microbiota, of a child, and you cause dysbiosis, you are going to have different strains of bacteria causing endotoxins that travel to the brain and damage the brain. Now, what do you call that damage? One of the words is autism. And and you know that this is happening because we have, out of the University of Arizona, we have some uh, studies, there's a larger one that's going on now, but the initial study did something called a fecal transplant. So you take feces from a child who is normal and you in, you put it into a child that is experiencing autistic symptoms. And in some of these cases, the children started to speak again.
1: Okay. That's, that's pretty powerful right It's there.
2: very, very powerful, okay? So that is just one of the phenotypes of autism, which is a bacterial sort of in, infective phenotype. Mm-hmm. So the next unit, we so he didn't commit fraud. We go through all of it, how he was framed by the UK government in cahoots with the pharmaceutical industry, and um, we explain how that all went down. Then the next unit is on autism. We cover each of the six phenotypes of autism. I just uh, just explained one of them right now. I was actually in a court case, I think it was around eight weeks ago, where one of the other phenotypes came up, which is mitochondrial damage. So if a child has mitochondrial dysfunction and they experience some sort of inflammatory event, now the inflammatory event, obviously vaccines are inflammatory. That's what they're designed to do. They have to activate the immune system or they won't work. But you can actually have inflammatory events from, say, a streptococcus infection. And uh, when you have mitochondrial dysfunction, so it's already the mitochondria, the power plants of the cells, especially the cells in the brain, when they're already challenged to produce enough energy and then they experience an inflammatory event what happens is they no longer can produce sufficient energy for the proper functioning of the brain and in this court case uh, dr zimmerman from johns hopkins testified that the doctor who had written the medical exemption was justified because this child had mitochondrial dysfunction and the doctor made the assessment that it was too risky for the child's brain to experience an inflammatory event in the form of a vaccine. And now, you know, the, the medical boards are going after doctors who are actually current with the science and are doing these sorts of protective measures and they're trying to get their licenses taken away. But we go through in that unit all of the six phenotypes that are currently known and how vaccines cause the brain damage that people will call autism. Now, People say it's genetic, it's not. That's what they say about cancer and all sorts of things, okay? We have the mechanisms and we explain it. Now, the next unit is autism recovery. It is actually possible to reverse the effects of autism. You don't use the word cure, you just use the word recovery because what the parents are finding out is that if they're not vigilant and then eventually when the child grows up, and if the child themselves as a young teen or an adult is not vigilant... They can actually cause their brain to regress. Depending on the phenotype, they have to be careful with what they eat and um, what they expose their body to. Uh, and then we have the conclusion, and we look at what the options are for the parent or the person who's just a regular member of our society. Where do we go from here? How do we stop this damage? How do we stop over-vaccination? Now the I and what and what and what are the considerations that a parent might want to go through to make an assessment because these wild infections can be damaging to certain children we we have i i really have compassion and empathy for these parents because they hear about how damaging these vaccines are but they also understand that these wild infections can be damaging so what do they do so we talk about that we talk about what are your options People seem to think that it's all about the virulence of the the infection, whether it's bacterial or or viral. But actually, it's not the virulence. On, it's not only the virulence of the of the virus. If you have a strong host immune system, most kids can fight off <clears throat> what what is thrown at them. These these unvaccinated kids are the healthiest, smartest kids you're ever going to meet. They haven't had their brain damaged from the repeated immune activation of the vaccines. They haven't had their brain damaged from the aluminum and the mercury that travels up to the brain. Okay, and they their immune systems are robust and strong, and uh, really you can if you if you if you they don't they're almost never sick. When they are sick, they kick it within 24 hours, and they're fine again. It's not like what parents are dealing with right now, just this endless stream of runny noses, and and if it gets worse, it's the earaches, and then you put the, the antibiotics to clear out the infection, and that can cause more problems. And you get into this pharmaceutical feedback loop where the vaccines start with the initial damage, damaging the immune system. Then you give antibiotics, and then you keep on giving vaccines as time goes on, and then there are more antibiotics. And you you send the, the poor child in this downward spiral of ill health. And then ultimately you get what the Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Moody's report reported in 2019. I can include the link in the show notes for you, which is that we're in this health shock. And what they did is they compared the health of the children today with the health of children from a few decades ago at the same age. And we truly are in a, in, a, in a bad way. Our younger people uh, are highly damaged. Now, they don't make an assessment of why that's happening. Um, I'm going to assert that over-vaccination is a big part of that. And we're putting together the, the data to prove that. So there you go. That's a, an overview of the course. It's once a week. The first session is on September 22nd at 5 p.m. We're going to check with everyone to make sure that time keeps working for people. Uh, That's PST, by the way. We're trying to make sure that we can get both coasts. We actually have people from all over the world, so some people are going to be joining us at probably 3 o'clock in the morning for them. And then we're going to have probably one of the most robust and informative Q&A sessions after each of the presentations, after the formal material is delivered then we have a a combined Q&A session. And then, of course, there's an online forum where people can keep on asking questions. If people can't make a particular session, we record it, and then they can log on to the website and play it back at their leisure. And there you go. That's what we're doing. We're going to educate people. And I I can say that the people who take this course are going to know more than 99% of the doctors out there. And they're going to have the confidence to understand that they have to take back the responsibility of their child's health. They cannot keep delegating it to the doctors. The doctors are not aware. They are, I hate using this word, but they're a little bit brainwashed about vaccines. They don't understand where the neurological damage, the asthma, and the autoimmune diseases are coming from, but they have this special place for vaccines where in their brain... It can't be the
1: vaccines. Unfortunately, it is the vaccines. All right. So first off, I want you to know, Andre, that I've never been quiet for that long on my podcast. So uh, I I, I wanted you to absolutely have the floor and share all that because I think it's so vital and so important. And uh, boy, it's hard for me to stay quiet that long. I I don't know how to not talk. Uh, So it's probably good for me. Probably a good exercise. So here's here's the thing that I I want to clarify a couple things and then I want to give the information on how somebody can sign up for this course and and all that information. First off you're not blaming vaccines for all of the health woes of modern children. Is no, that true or false?
2: No, that well that's it's true that I'm not blaming it. You you have okay. to it's multifactorial, it's everything from diet, way too much processed food. Uh, There are bio, there are toxins that are bioaccumulating in the, in the, in the environment that plays a role, but what, so people say, yeah, but okay, I can't, you know, the vaccines see, even the people who are open to this idea, they have this special place for vaccines where they're just (laughs) going to keep defending it. So I have to just patiently say, but listen, the diet isn't directly affecting the immune system like these drugs are. These drugs are designed to produce an immunological response for life. That right,
1: you're, you're means you're that they're plugging into the immune system and adjusting how it functions. Exactly, right? and that means that you should expect side effects for life. Right. Okay. So there are other factors, but vaccines are probably the most direct. Correct. Factor. That's a fair way of saying it. Yeah. Okay, and then there's a couple of other things that I want to put out there because. Again, and listen, if you've listened to this entire episode at this point, congratulations, because (laughs) a lot of people probably would have turned it off by now. But if you have listened to this point in this conversation, then you have at least the ability and willingness to open your mind to the possibilities that What we're being told isn't always as black and white as they want us to believe that it is. There are a lot of factors. There are genetic factors. There are, we know definitely that some families seem to have a higher propensity to some of these things, even though the family next door may receive the same number of vaccines on the same schedule. They may not have the same uh, side effects. That's medicine anyway. We all are affected differently by all types of different medicines, but it doesn't mean that you're not being affected. One of the things that I've found that is is maybe the primary reason, at least as far as I can assess it, as to why many parents and doctors are so adamantly opposed to even looking at the possibility that a vaccine could potentially be causing one of these problems, whether it be asthma or allergies or autism you name the problem, it doesn't really matter, is that I don't believe that the doctors that are vaccinating in their practices have any intent to hurt their patients. I also don't believe that any parent choosing to vaccinate their child has any intent to harm their child. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Doctors and parents intentionally want to help and support their child and help that individual become a healthy, robust, adult human being. Agreed. The doctors are not intentionally hurting their
2: patients, and the parents are believing the doctors when the doctors tell them
1: that the vaccines are safe and effective. Right. And so what it really is, is it's a a paradigm shift that has to occur where we we, we don't place blame on the doctor and we don't place blame on the parent. And I have found uh, in discussions I've had really deep, intimate one-on-one discussions with parents with injured children. And I've seen two types of response, I guess, is probably the best way from those parents who have children who at least there is a suspicion that a vaccine created an injury or a combination of vaccines created an injury. The one response is, I, I, I suspected the vaccine, I dug in, I did the research, and now I believe my child was injured by that vaccine. The other response is, There's no way it was the vaccine. It couldn't have been the vaccine because vaccines are safe and effective. That's what I've always believed. That's what my doctor believes. That's what the CDC and the FDA say. That's what the World Health Organization says. There's no way that some crackpot doctor out there that claims that that's not the case, that vaccines actually could cause damage is right. And all of these other experts, quote unquote, are wrong. And yet the parents that I've talked to that are in that boat have not looked beyond what they've already been told. They haven't looked into the possibility that maybe vaccines aren't safe and effective. It's an interesting curtain to peek behind because once you open it up just a little crack, you can't unsee what you've seen. And then all of a sudden it's like, I either got to close it up really quickly because it's too scary what's behind there, or I've got to look deeper and find out what's really going on.
2: Well, there is that. There, you could say that there's some sort of mental protective mechanism going on. But mm-hmm. we also need to be very aware that if I were to have a conversation with an extremely pro-vax person who's pretty well knowledgeable of the literature, they will be able to keep coming up with studies that show that they're safe. Okay. So it's not like it's only a resistance to unlearning something that they've learned. A lot of parents have gone down this path and someone gently said, well, no, actually take a, we looked at this and we saw that there was no issue with the vaccines. But that's where you have to have someone like me say, but look, you actually have to go back to what the Institute of Medicine said, that they have not tested the entire schedule They have not tested the order of administration of all the vaccines. Now, why is that important? Okay, technically, they've done one study now. And why did they do one study around order of administration? That came out of the work of Dr. Abi and Dr. Stable-Ben, who work out of Guinea-Bissau. And what they found is through this unique quirk, they were able to compare the health outcomes Guinea-Bissau is a high disease pressure area. So this is absolutely what you would call a a developing country. And so here they have been there for probably about 30 years now, and they've been giving vaccines since the beginning. These people are not anti-vaccine. They went there to help save children. But they're also rigorous. And when they looked at the situation, they were able to publish some papers that showed that if the child got an inactivated vaccine, now that's going to be a dead virus, a dead bacterium, coupled with an adjuvant, like aluminum, an adjuvant is this fancy word for a poison, that is injected with the antigen, so they put the antigen and the poison together, the adjuvant, so that the the body responds, because the body is smart, it is not going to respond to a dead virus or a dead bacterium without the aluminum. So that's why the aluminum is put in there. Okay? They found that if the inactivated vaccines were last in the order of administration, they were comparing it to polio, which was the they were using at the time, the live polio vaccine, then it was actually killing more kids than helping. That's mm. astonishing. Okay? That it's... Act- so you can go, and I'm going to give you this link for her TED Talk. Dr. Stable Ben did a TED Talk, and she pointed out that what we're learning is the immune system is closer to how the brain works in terms of pattern matching and setting up patterns that cause it to go in a certain direction. And what they discovered since that initial study, and they've published a whole bunch more, and other researchers around the world have been looking at this, and they found that if the live vaccine was last, then they had better outcomes. If they had the inactivated vaccines last, then they were actually killing more kids than they were saving. And it's a very poignant TED talk to hear
1: her say this. And so... Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I'm, I'm dying to watch it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. We have to start teaching people you can't muck around with the immune system like we're doing and expect... To just have a healthy individual because if you're in Guinea-Bissau, you're actually killing it, happened to be worse for the girls than the boys, you're actually killing more girls than you're saving. And so then the CDC did do a study showing order administration for the first time, even though parents have been talking about this, of vaccine injured kids have been talking about this for years. What ultimately you get to the what you ultimately get to is they're not doing the studies that are gonna show you what you need to know. And they refuse to do the studies. The CDC could easily do a whole health comparison between unvaccinated children
1: and vaccinated children.
2: Okay, They say that it's too hard. This is the health
1: of the nation. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty convenient excuse.
2: It's ridiculous. Dr. Paul Thomas and, and, and Dr. Jack uh, Ly- uh, James Lyons-Weiler, they did it. Okay, plus right. another in- investigators so that it was completely blinded. And there are other pediatric practices that are giving the patients, the parents of the patients, the option of no vaccines. We have the control group out there. We have the unvaccinated kids. The CDC is not going to perform that study. They're going to make sure that everyone is vaccinated and they're just going to accept that if your child is injured, it's collateral damage, and they, they have no concept of the crossover point. They have no concept that we're over-vaccinating, and thus, you and me, we probably got something like six, maybe eight vaccines when we were growing up. Kids today, if they get a flu shot every year, they'll get around 72 vaccines, 72 doses. And 60% of those contain aluminum. And that aluminum is, is revving up the immune system, it's causing the allergies, it's getting to the brains, the autistic brains in particular. We have, we have studies that show that oh. autistic children who maybe died from getting hit from a car, unfortunately, sadly, or they, they drown, sadly, because there seems to be an affinity for water. They, when, when the researchers looked at their brains, they had more aluminum in them than Alzheimer's patients. Okay. So these autistic kids are, the aluminum is rapidly moving from the injection site to the brain.
1: And it's critical to understand a couple of things too, about that schedule. You said, you know, depending on your age, of course, it was six, eight, 10, 12, whatever it was back then. And now modern children up to 72 vaccines. And that in and of itself to me is just an alarming number. That's a, that's a tremendous amount of manipulation of the immune system. But what I think you, you touched on, but I think needs to be really, um, uh, we need to dive into it for just a quick second before we wrap this up, is the vaccine schedule itself being so aggressive and such high quantity of vaccines. We already have evidence just in the last six, eight months of of the COVID vaccines that the first shot doesn't seem to cause much problem for the majority of people. And I think I understand that it's an 80 fold increase in, in, um, side effects from the second, uh, of the, of the Pfizer vaccine. Is that accurate as far as you know?
2: Well, we are absolutely seeing more damage in the second shot. I don't have the exact
1: number. I, I believe it was, I believe it was, uh, Dr. McCullough that said that Dr. Peter McCullough, but I, I don't want to quote him on that, but it's, it's a substantial amount. And and the reason I bring that up is that, yeah, so if the first shot does not that much and the second shot does a lot more, and now, of course, we're talking about boosters when it comes to COVID, but in childhood vaccines, we're talking about 72 shots and the the cumulative effect specifically of the toxins like aluminum can't be overlooked. And yet it is glossed over as if it doesn't matter. And there's no possibility that just giving it over and over and over and over again could possibly be a problem it's
2: incredible these these drugs are causing so much damage and so we so in the course we go through one of the studies like we we pull out the studies that show what's actually happening and one of the studies shows that you get more damage in the children using the bears database you can identify how much injury occurs after how many shots are given so said another way you see a certain amount of damage if only if a child gets only one shot in one day. But you see more damage if they get two shots and then even more damage if they get three shots. And some kids, if they're on some sort of catch-up schedule, they are often going to get between nine and 12 doses of vaccines in a single day. And if you go to VARES, you will see that there is a dose-response curve in terms of injury. This is insanity. And, and so I, I really go back and forth the doctors the doctors are trapped in something we now know is called groupthink mhm and they're taught at school that vaccines are safe and effective and all they're really taught is how to dispense them how to you know what here's the schedule and they're great okay but at the same time we we have to stop letting the doctors off the hook Okay, it is yeah. they have to start learning that injecting nine doses of a vaccine over 50% of those doses with aluminum is going to exceed the safe level of aluminum for that child, which is seemingly
1: a no-brainer. Well, yeah, but
2: if right. the CDC isn't doing the t- so Jack, <laughs> you know, Jack released a study and I don't remember who his co-author was, where they actually look at what is the aluminum intoxication level after multiple vaccines and they show spikes every time you do one of these days even if it's not a catch-up schedule but the child is going to get say six vaccines because well child back visits are primarily just vaccine visits okay that's what right. they are okay they want to give you a vaccine and it's lip service let's do the weight and all that kind of stuff okay a parent can do that at home the reason why they if you want to test that just tell your doctor you're not vaccinating anymore and you won't get phone calls for the well-child visits anymore. <laughs> but in in that paper that we go through, we show that the aluminum level exceeds the allowable levels by the FDA. Okay, So we're doing the same thing with aluminum that we did back in, in 1999 when Congress said we want a review of all of the medicines to see what mercury is in them, and then the vaccines got included in that assessment, and then they had that secret meeting the Simpsonwood secret meeting where they said holy crap we are exceeding the allowable mercury okay that's an interesting thing (laughs) that's part of the history that people don't know so there's so much and actually the transcript was leaked there's so much history that people don't understand of how the the government's and medical profession are protecting these drugs and your child is acceptable collateral damage. That's the bottom line. To them, they just think that the vaccines are still doing more good than harm. And um, me and an increasing number of people are saying, nope, we've crossed the, we've passed the crossover point. It's time to dial back the vaccine program. You can't do this much immune system manipulation without damaging the brain, without causing all these other. SQL-A.
1: yeah. Okay. Well, we can uh, go on this. I need. I think for another twelve hours. So let's wrap this thing up, so uh, you can get on with your day. But before we do, uh, how does someone get more information on the vaccine course? How do they sign up? Uh, what else do you do? We need to know.
2: Well, it's it's simple. Go to vaccinecourse.org, and there's going to be a link to the IPAC uh, website. So we're releasing the course through IPAC Edu, It's a nonprofit. Um, the project. This project itself is also a nonprofit, through a California um, nonprofit. So we do have to charge money because it costs money to get these things going. But we're not here to make money. We want to get the word out there. So if they go follow that link, and actually, it makes me think that I should put the syllabus right on the front page of the vaccine course. In fact, I think I'm going to do that tonight. So go to vaccinecourse.org, not thevaccinecourse.org, vaccinecourse.org. And uh, take a look at the syllabus, click on the link if it's something that you want to register for, and we will see you at the first session. Or you can, you can join in the second or in the third session. We're going to keep registration open for at least a few weeks because, because we're recording these sessions. If someone joins late, they can just catch up on their own time.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And I'll absolutely be uh, signing up myself uh, really just as soon as we're done recording. I'm very interested in this. Uh, and it's th- this is something I've been researching for quite a while. It's clear from listening to your presentation last weekend and talking to you today that uh, there's a lot more that I can learn. So I'm excited to take advantage of this. And, and thank you so much for the time and effort that you've put into it. I'm really excited to uh, to dig in deeper on this. So if you have more questions uh, and and want to uh, find out more, vaccinecourse.org. I asked you at the conference the, the cost on this thing. It's a nonprofit. I honestly expected it to be hundreds of dollars uh, because it's 10. Is it 10 units? Is that what you said? Uh, no,
2: it's 13, but we're probably going to expand it because I want to put in a unit for COVID the COVID vaccines, and um, we have someone working on a unit on the uh, Gardasil,
1: just one unit on that very dangerous oh, vaccine. That, that needs to own. be talked about, yeah. So 13 to 15 <laughs> units, it so sounds like probably 15. Maybe it'll go 16 or 17 because I, I can tell you don't want to stop. Uh, <laughs> but $180, is that accurate?
2: Yeah, it's it's $180. You're going to have a lot of the experts who who were uh, the, the leaders of each unit joining us for this inaugural course. And you're going to have some doctors, and 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 um, it's going to be like a fire hose. Uh, people are going to walk away just shaking their heads like, wow, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, and, and the value uh, there is just absolutely incredible. The, the, the education for that little amount of money is, um, is just awesome. So I'm excited. I hope uh, those of you listening – are excited as well. This is—it's uh, a weird kind of excitement because uh, you know you get excited to learn all this stuff, but the stuff that you're going to learn is pretty tragic and uh, concerning for sure. But uh, the, the way I see it, and the way I've seen it since day one of this COVID thing, is that uh, if we can't get educated on what the whole truth is, uh, then there's no point in trying to figure out how to take care of ourselves. We've got to know this information in order to be able to do. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, especially, this education is invaluable. So uh, please go to vaccinecourse.org. Andre, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and your passion. Thank you for
2: having me, Jared. I owe you some some URLs so that you can put those in the show notes. People should look at that TED talk. It might open their eyes that the vaccines are causing much more harm than they think. And once that door is opened a little bit, then if they if they come join us on the in the course they'll see exactly how extensive the damage is.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. So send me all those. We'll put them in the uh, description uh, of the podcast on whichever podcast player you're uh, listening to. Of course, if you have more questions and uh, weren't able to jot down the notes that you wanted to, uh, you can get in touch with me as well at Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Be happy to answer any questions you have uh, there as well. Andre, thank you so much. Cheers, Jared. All right. So that wraps up this special episode of Vitality Radio uh, with uh, a, a fantastic guest, uh, Andre, Angela, and Tony, who just, uh, man, I'm so excited about this vaccine course. I was, I didn't know there was such a thing. And of course there wasn't until this week. uh, And it's just an exciting, exciting thing. So I hope you take advantage of it. If you do have any questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio, whether it's this episode or any other, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662 at Vitality Nutrition. We're happy to help you out. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.